0: the truth news network when you're looking back at the second world war as the good old days you know you're in deep ration coupons korea deep kimchi watts deep trouble the kind of trouble based in lies manipulation and intimidation at home well stand tall because this too shall pass and your path to better times is paved with the truth this is TNN, the Truth News Network, and your master of the yellow brick road is Dan Newman. Your line,
1: dog faced pony soldier. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Uncle Joe caught us there. Hello, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. And um, we're entering the last week, the last week of the month of August. And it doesn't seem possible that we're there, but we're there. And what happens over weekends when uh, you're trying to get things done and you move things around and you replace things and you come Monday morning and find out you replaced them in the wrong place? If the studio sound is a little bit different today, it's because the studio sound is a little bit different today. Let me just be... Totally honest with you. We had a broadcast board crash and we put in an emergency order for a new one that came in over the weekend and tried to make the transition from the previous board to the new board, and we got it working. But the microphone, main studio microphone, is gonna sound a little bit different today. And I hope it doesn't bother you. And if it does, to be quite honest with you, at this moment there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> it is what it is. And we have so many things to talk to you about today. It just seems like, you know, we used to have a weekend. You know, Friday afternoon, maybe 12 noon, everything shuts down. And uh, then, you know, we uh, we have Friday evening to go to dinner uh, to do things. And then we had a Saturday. And Saturday, we we mowed the yard. We worked in the lawn or... We went to the pool or whatever. And then Sunday, a relaxing day as well. We don't have that privilege any longer. We just don't. We can't keep up with everything. And when we try, we just get bogged down and find out we can't catch up. That's what happened this weekend. Joe Biden's still on vacation. I think he's been on vacation for half of his presidency, and they say, well, no, he's not going on vacation. He goes to Delaware, and, uh, of course, all of the people that are important are there with him whenever he goes, wherever he goes. But it's not the same. This guy doesn't spend much time directly engaged with the things that presidents are supposed to be engaged. So as we're getting ready for the midterm elections, you may not know this, But think through some of the things we've just come through and are still in. Democrats have handed Republicans for the midterms two giant gifts. That deviously dubbed Inflation Reduction Act, IRA, and a worthy but failed amendment to it Supply the GOP two tailor-made issues to hurl at those tax-loving and tax-hiking, tax-collecting Democrats. And between now and first week of November, Republican nominees should deploy these two things and go after Democrats at once. First, the Inflation Reduction Act, which doesn't reduce inflation. That act, signed into law now, gives the IRS an $80 billion bonus. 80 billion b b billion six times its current 12.6 billion dollar annual budget now this is nuts folks it's nuts this includes 45.6 billion dollars for enforcement and boy that sounds wicked that's a 70% increase above today's outlays so this jackpot is going to underwrite a little over 86,000 new IRS agents, turbocharge its payroll from 93,654 people to 180,000. That's up 93%. Imagine that baseball teams held IRS nights. These new taxocrats would overwhelm these ballparks and adjacent sports bars, they just overflood everything. Uh, here's some examples. Diamondbacks in Arizona. Chase Field, where they play, capacity 48,000. The Braves in Atlanta, 41,000 in their stadium. Cincinnati Reds, 43,000. Milwaukee and the Brewers, American Family Field, 41,000. Pittsburgh Pirates, 38,000. You put that all together, and we couldn't hold all of the IRS agents that we are having right now, Arizona's Blake Masters, Georgia's Herschel Walker, Ohio's J.D. Vance, and then Ron Johnson, Senator Ron Johnson, is running neck and neck with his Democrat opponent up in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz, other Republicans, all these people should use this thought experiment to show how Democrats are imperiling us, the U.S. taxpayers, Every single Senate Democrat endorsed these new agents. The yeas included Arizona's Mark Kelly, Georgia's Raphael Warnock, Nevada's Catherine Cortez Masto, New Hampshire's Maggie Hassan. All are seeking re-election. Every House Democrat voted yes on the IRA, the, induction, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act. That includes Tim Ryan of Ohio, Florida's Val Demings, both are Senate contenders. Every House Republican voted against it. These new IRS agents, they're going to look by beyond Warren Buffett Mark Zuckerberg. They told us that's what they were going to be for. But folks, there are not that many billionaires in America that they can go after. Those 86,000 new IRS IRS enforcers, there aren't that many billionaires. So what are they going to do? The fact is that tax gap isn't just millionaires, billionaires, oligarchs, or whatever the term of the attack is today. Small business owners, cash-heavy businesses, those who can't afford legal teams, are easy targets For these new IRS agents in their audits. The Congressional Joint Committee Taxation added this looked at IRS data and determined out of all the revenues projected to be raised from underreported income, 40 to 57% could come from taxpayers making $50,000 or less. 40 to 57%. Sixty-five to seventy-eight percent from those making less than a hundred grand. Seventy-eight to ninety percent from those making less than two hundred grand. Only about four to nine percent could come from those making five hundred thousand dollars or more. Did you do the math? Only four to nine percent comes from those wicked, evil Republicans that are All big money guys. You know, the Zuckerbergs of the world. The IRS disproportionately scrutinizes earned income tax credit beneficiaries that are hardly the rich. The agency audited 382,000 recipients of those earned income tax credit beneficiaries in 2018. That accounted for 43% of all audits of individuals. This came from ProPublica's Paul Keel in a May 2019 report. Nationwide, the counties with the highest audit rates are poor, rural, mostly African-American, and in the South. A reflection of the high numbers of earned income tax credit claims there. Audits frazzle nerves, guzzle gash, and gobble up time. Now, here's how they'll do it. Listen closely. If you've never been through an IRS audit and you make six figures, but low six figures, get ready because here's how they'll do it. You get a notice in the mail and it's not asking you to do anything except just show your butt up. You don't know what to do. Now, what do those filthy rich people do? They don't even get that notice. That notice goes to their tax experts, you know, tax attorneys. They get it. And then they make a phone call to the client they represent, the multi-billionaire folks, and say, hey, look, we got this audit coming up. And those billionaires say, great, work on it, get it handled. They then interject themselves into that process in your case It's you and an IRS agent or two that know the very fact that you're sitting in front of them scares you to death. And typically, if you're a normal American that goes into this situation, just because you know something, and if you don't know it, I'm going to tell you something right now that you won't be able to say you didn't know because this is a fact. When they go audit somebody, they always find money for the IRS. They can tweak a little here, tweak a little there. They'll look at you and say, you can't deduct that. And you don't have a tax attorney sitting next to you in these meetings. So what are you going to do? Typically, by the end of that meeting, you are so frazzled. They have you so petrified that whatever they say to you that you owe, you're going to agree and set up payment terms. I'm serious. They know that. These numbers I just gave you don't lie. 78 to 90% from those making less than $200,000, that's where the additional money will come from to supposedly pay for these new 86,000 IRS agents. Not the evil, filthy, wealthy. Audits are hardly ever resolved in one day. From the moment you get that notice to a final resolution, including appeals, if they bust you and you you find a way to appeal what they said, sometimes it lasts two years or longer. It's hanging over your head for two years or longer. That's why most Americans just kowtow and say, okay, I'll agree. That's what I'll do. The average audit appeals resolution time is 11 months. If the dispute is only for accuracy penalties, the process can take up to three years. In their second gift to Republicans, every Senate Democrat killed Representative Crapo's amendment in a 50-50 tie on this bill. Had just one Democrat joined... Unified Republicans, typical taxpayers, would be safe from these new, unbelievable, egregious lockdown, socialist, totalitarian audits. They are coming. But no, Senate Democrats unanimously, they just declared, they sent the message, screw the Americans, grab their money. Republicans got to make these two votes and the Democrats behind them, world-famous or infamous, and they should not stop until the very last ballot is counted. (laughs) That's probably going to be sometime around Thanksgiving. Wow, 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 wow. Not trying to scare you, folks. Just trying to make sure you understand that it ain't good. It's not good, and it's not going to get any better anytime soon unless and until Republicans, other conservatives, send a big message to Washington, D.C. in a couple of months that says, no more, no more, no big government, no bigger government, stop getting in our pockets. Do your jobs. We have plenty already for you to go after and weigh into and do your job doing it. You know that novel little thing like uh, two million illegals, illegals, stepping across our borders illegally and you're doing nothing about it. And Mr. Biden, you think that you need to hire 86,000 IRS agents to stop any of that wrongdoing? If you needed a few more IRS agents, go for it. Go for it. Hire a few more. But at the same time, hire just as many Border Patrol and Customs agents down at the southern border to stop these illegals from pouring in. Do you know what's interesting? They don't release any of the crime statistics in the nation, they being the FBI. None to the American people. Every state has it. Now the FBI will release some information, but it's always two years behind, and it's never accurate. They never break it down. We're going to take our first break in just a few minutes. During the break, we're going to pull up a report from just the state of Texas. And it'll blow your mind if you haven't already heard what happened in two years in Texas. Criminal acts perpetrated by illegals against Texans in two years. Now, do you remember back on January 20th in 2021, what happened that day? Well, of course, President Biden was inaugurated into office and what was the big deal about that? Well, <laughs> the big deal was Biden. He wasn't elected yet. He was elected but not inaugurated yet. I, I, just want, I just want to take you back for a few moments. I pulled down a report from one news agency. It came from the big inauguration thing all of the hoopla and stuff and for the purposes of reflection upon looking in your rearview mirror and what joe biden said he was going to be and do and what he is doing now it's not quite the same
0: it is now
2: my great honor to introduce the president-elect of the united states of america
0: joe biden
3: A long journey for this country, but at prime time, he came to accept the job of leading for the next four years. Alongside the first woman ever elected vice president, America has never seen a moment like this before.
4: The people of this nation have spoken. They've delivered us a clear victory, a convincing victory, a victory for we, the people, We've won with the most votes ever cast on a presidential ticket in the history
3: of the nation. He knows as well as anyone that America is riven as rarely before, hence this attempt to reach out. For
4: all those of you who voted for President Trump, I understand the disappointment tonight. I've lost a couple times myself, but now let's give each other a chance. It's time to put away the harsh rhetoric, lower the temperature, see each other again, listen to each other again. And to make progress, we have to stop treating our opponents as our enemies.
3: The drive-in rally was a reminder no one needed, that he'll take over responsibility for a pandemic running wild and systemic problems. Let this grim air
4: of demonization in America begin to end here and now. The refusal of Democrats and Republicans to cooperate with one another its not some mysterious force beyond our control. It's a decision, a choice we make, and if we can decide not to cooperate, then we can decide to cooperate.
3: Make no mistake, the presence of Kamala Harris, a woman of color in the White House, is hugely significant for this country.
2: While I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last. Because every little girl watching tonight sees that this is a country of possibilities.
3: They were listening all over the country, not least on the streets outside the White House. Celebrations among those yearning an end to the Trump era. The sitting president had been on the golf course when his defeat was confirmed. As he left, the thumbs up to his supporters, perhaps a sign he still feels confident that he has a chance in the courts. There is little evidence of the fraud he's alleged. When all the celebrations have died down, he'll need all of those skills if he is to heal America. He's told supporters to keep the faith.
4: I am so excited and so happy and so overwhelmed at the same
5: time. this is such an amazing moment. We're so relieved
6: to move on to the decency that this country deserves. I'm just so proud to be a part
3: of this moment.
7: I think that if anyone's going to unite this country and bring us all together, it's the man who you just
3: heard speak. When Joe Biden's old boss, Barack Obama, offered his congratulations, he added a sobering list of challenges the president-elect will face. No one should be under any illusion that difficult times lay ahead for this country. It was, in truth, quite a nice change from the political fireworks we've become used to. Whatever challenges to his legitimacy he faces, Joe Biden has already begun the transition for America. He's achieved his ultimate goal, and the hard work has only just begun. Greg Milam, Sky News, Wilmington in Delaware.
1: What are we going to do? What are we going to transist, go to, transfer away from? What are we going to do? What has Joe Biden done to help us? Think about that for a second. What has this president done that has absolutely made life better for you? He declared in that inaugural address, you just heard a little bit of it, that the central mission of his presidency was to unify the country. If you didn't hear it just a few moments ago, here's a quote. He said, today on this January day, my whole soul is in this, bringing America together, uniting our people and uniting our nation." I asked every American to join me in this cause. With unity, we can do great things. At another point in the speech, he listed a bunch of challenges that we're all facing. Here we are almost two years into this presidency, and we're still facing those things. And he declared that in order to overcome them, to restore the soul and to secure the future of America requires that most elusive of things in a democracy, unity. He went on to say, there is no peace, only bitterness and fury, without unity. And then he described unity as the path forward in our historic moment of crisis and challenge. In short, what he did, folks, he made a pledge to you and me to be America's unifier-in-chief. 19 months later, just a few nights ago, Thursday night, Biden was at a fundraiser for Democrats in Bethesda, Maryland, which if you don't know about Bethesda, it's an affluent suburb just out of Washington, D.C. And when he got up to speak, Biden vilified the Make America Great Again movement aligned with former President Trump and his administration as semi- fascist. What we're seeing now is the beginning or the death nail of an extreme MAGA philosophy. This is Thursday night. It's not just Trump. It's the entire philosophy that underpins the, I'm going to say something, it's like semi fascism. Do you know what fascism is? You hear it floating all around all the time, people, when they want to demean anybody that thinks opposite of them, they simply call them a fascist. So, let me give you a definition of the word. Fascism is a system of government marked by centralization of authority under a dictator, a political philosophy or movement based on or advocating such a system of government. In other words, one guy at the top. Now, what fascist countries have you known about in our history that really went bonkers? Well, Japan. How about Germany? How about Italy? How about Russia? How about Venezuela? We can mention a bunch of them. Cuba. In every one of those, there was a guy at the top. And they did what they wanted to do in total abandonment of who the people elected to run the country. First of all, in a fascist country, you don't elect a guy. (laughs) You just don't. They get pushed out there, and the power group behind them always tell you, here's who you wanted, whoever that person is. Sound familiar? I got to be honest with you. I watched Donald Trump through his four years. If he was a fascist wannabe or if he was leading a group that were really semi-fascist, you know the first thing he would have done? He would have done away with all of the dissenting voices. That's what they do in Cuba. They still, to this day, if you dissent from the policies of the Cuban government, they throw you in prison. That's exactly what Hitler did, except... He didn't just throw them in prison, he killed them. Same thing with Stalin in Russia. I can't think of one thing that Donald Trump did that would even remotely, closely be classified as semi-fascist. On the other hand, 86,000 new IRS workers that are going to be armed? That's right. They're going to be armed. You don't think that's a fear factor when you sit in a room with them and they start talking about your income tax return and just ripping it to shreds and looking at you and treating you like you're one of those semi-fascists because you don't agree with the President of the United States. i got to be honest with you. I've had enough. I don't like where this is going. It was so much better back where we came from to get here. My life was way better during the four years of the Trump presidency. would have been a whole lot better if we didn't spend almost all of those four years trying to figure out what the Democrats were going to do to Donald Trump because they couldn't stand his representative style of government. They wanted to get back at the top of the heap where they could do things that they had no right to do. This this massive government giveaway, forgiveness of federal debt, there's no such thing. None of that is going to be forgiven. What Joe Biden is trying to do is transfer the liability from all of those student loans. You know, those kids that talk their parents into helping them get that money, those student loans to go to college, and when they got there, all they did was party. They didn't take the education part of it very seriously, and they bombed out of college and have this debt hanging over them. Forget about those that worked their butts off to get to a point where they could go to college, take out student loans, work part-time, go to school, get an education, get a good job, and paid back their student debt. What about those people? What about the ones that you used to laugh at when you were in high school? Because they weren't smart enough. They weren't good enough. You'll never amount to anything. And they end up working a blue-collar job. They never borrowed money to go to school. And Biden wants them to pay those other people. You know, those people that get to those Ivy League schools. Do you know this, Bill? There are Harvard graduates, Brown, Yale, People in those categories going to these extremely expensive Ivy League colleges and other colleges around the nation, maybe not as expensive, but they're going there, they're about to get out and go get these great jobs, doctors, lawyers, surgeons, you name it. And Joe Biden wants you to pay for part of their student debt. There's only one thing this is about, and you know it before I even say it. It's about November. What happens in November? Midterm elections. And because of that, and because Joe Biden is looking over his shoulder and he's seeing the MAGA crowd coming after him, looking for any opportunity to get those MAGA supporters Put them down, denigrate them, try to make them look unworthy and nasty and semi-Nazi so that when you go to the polls, you won't even think about putting any of those MAGA folks back in office. You're going to vote in the midterms for every representative, every senator that's running. You're going to vote for the Biden folks, the totalitarian folks, the ones that are happy for 86,000 new IRS agents. And that's just a drop in the bucket to what Joe Biden has done and what he's trying to do. I pray, I literally pray that the courts will step in and intervene immediately in this student debt repayment thing. It is unconstitutional. No president has the unilateral authority to do anything like that. That has to come through the United States Congress. Wait a minute. Joe Biden did it without going by what the law says? Yep, that's what he's trying to do. He's done it over and over again, kind of like the southern border thing. Don't look down at the southern border. Don't talk bad about it. Don't even mention that the Commander-in-Chief is suborning felony criminal activity every day when he doesn't shut that border down. Every illegal that crosses into the United States illegally is illegal. And Joe Biden, Alejandro Mayorkas, DHS Secretary, they don't give a rip. They're not enforcing the laws that they swore they would enforce. Look, that is what A fascist leader does exactly what Joe Biden is doing today. He's not even semi-fascist. He is a fascist, and he will not admit it and will not stop doing the things that propagate that exact thing. And you know what their midterm goal is? Whoever's going to follow Joe next time around, They want to condition the American populace that all of this, what we're watching now, what we're living through now, is the new normal. And so the next man or woman that comes up and lives in the Oval Office, they'll be just a little bit harder, a little bit more fascist, -fascist semi-fascist-like than Joe Biden was. And they'll normalize this nation directly down the path, toward socialism, hardcore left, or even totalitarianism. Why did they want that? Because in those cases, the very elite control everything.
5: I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing a prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre-productive truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do. Do do the same Copy. It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic PSSV shocks. So it's just going to be that much more of a fun truck. You
4: want
7: to go a little faster? Go
5: for it. Copy. It's an amazing truck. You're going to want to get your hands on one.
2: Nervous?
4: Oh, Blaze, brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in '97? You're
0: still the one to.
4: Our first real heart-to-heart. I've
6: never seen
5: any of your movies. Not even *The room
4: Together*. Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes, Blaze was there. Blaze, do you have a barbecue or a cheddar jalapeno? Ooh. Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? <laughs> ah! When you bought your first house ah! hey, I'm Seth. those are good times They were golden you ready Seth do you I do and Janet do you yeah. that's a yes yeah! I love this lady!
2: <laughs>
0: The truth as only he can tell it. Dan Newman, TNN, truthnewsnet.org.
1: I just got a text that says, I swear all this is really making my stomach turn. It sickens me to the core, literally. And it does me too. I think most Americans share that sentiment, as a matter of fact. And that makes it, that makes it even worse than we thought it was. So what about this student debt thing? Well, Biden's announcement that he's going to cancel, not the federal government. The stories out there are saying the United States federal government has decided, uh uh-uh, Joe Biden has decided, they're going to cancel a portion of outstanding student debt. It's really important to understand how Americans came to owe the current cumulative total of more than $1.6 trillion for higher education. Let's look back over our shoulders. Back in 1970, Ronald Reagan was running for re-election as governor of California. He first won in '66 with some pretty controversial rhetoric toward the University of California public college system and executed confrontational policies when he was in office. In May of that year, 1970, Reagan had shut down all 28 UC and Cal State campuses in the middle of student protest against the Vietnam War and the U.S. bombing of Cambodia. On October 29th, less than a week before the election, his education advisor Roger Freeman spoke at a press conference to defend him. Freeman's remarks were reported the next day in the San Francisco Chronicle under the headline, Professor Sees Peril in Education. According to the article, Freeman said this, we're in danger of producing an educated proletariat. That's dynamite. We have to be selective on who we allow to go to college. If not, Freeman said, we will have a large number of highly trained and unemployment, unemployed people. Freeman also said, taking a highly idiosyncratic perspective on the cause of fascism, listen to this, this is from 1970, October, folks. Freeman said this, if we don't do this, in other words, stop letting anybody and everybody go to college because they're all, not all of them, are qualified. He said, if we continue, we will have a large number of highly trained and unemployed people. Taking a highly idiosyncratic perspective on the cause of fascism, that's what happened in Germany, and Freeman said, I saw it happen. He was born in 1904 in Vienna, Austria, immigrated to the U.S. after Hitler took control of Germany an economist who became a long-time fixture in conservative politics. Freeman served on the White House staff during both the Eisenhower and Nixon administrations. Then in 1970, he was seconded from the Nixon administration to work on Reagan's campaign. He was also a senior fellow at Stanford's conservative Hoover Institution. In one of his books, he asked, can Western civilization survive? what he believed to be excessive government spending on education, social security, etc. a core theme of Reagan's first gubernatorial campaign in 66 was resentment resentment toward California's public colleges, in particular UC Berkeley. Reagan repeatedly vowed to clean up the mess there. Berkeley, then nearly free to attend for California residents, had become a national center of organizing against the Vietnam War. Deep anxiety about this reached the highest levels of the U.S. government. John McCone, the head of the CIS, CIA, requested a meeting with J. Edgar Hoover, head of the FBI, to discuss communist influence at Berkeley, a situation that definitely required some corrective action. This is 1970, and it is a rubber stamp repeat almost to the letter of what we are facing right now today. During his 66 campaign, Reagan regularly talked with the FBI about its concerns about Clark Kerr, the president of the entire University of California system. And in spite of the request from Hoover, Kerr had not cracked down on Berkeley and Berkeley protesters. Within weeks of Reagan taking office, Kerr was fired. A subsequent FBI memo stated, Reagan was dedicated to the destruction of disruptive elements on California campuses. Governor Reagan pushed to cut state funding for California's public colleges, but he didn't reveal his ideological motivation. Rather, he said, the state simply needed to save money. To cover the funding shortfall, Reagan suggested that California public colleges could charge residents tuition for the first time. This, he complained, resulted in the almost hysterical charge that this would deny educational opportunities to those of the most moderate means. This is obviously untrue, but we made it plain that tuition must be accompanied by adequate loans to be paid back after graduation. So Reagan's success in his attacks, I don't know another word to use to explain it on those California public colleges, his doing that inspired conservative politicians across the U.S. Nixon decried campus revolt. Spiro Agnew is vice president proclaimed that thanks to open admissions policies, unqualified students are being swept into college on the wave of the new socialism. Prominent conservative intellectuals, they also stepped up. Privately, one worried that free education may be producing a positively dangerous class situation by raising the expectations of working class students. Another referred in college students as a Parasite feeding on the rest of society who exhibited a failure to understand and to appreciate the crucial role played by the reward-punishment structure of the market. The answer was, close off the parasitic option. What does this mean in practice? Well, it means a system of full tuition charges supplemented by loans which students must pay out of their future income. Looking back, this period was the clear turning point in our policies toward higher education. For decades, there had been enthusiastic bipartisan agreement that states should fund high-quality public colleges so that their youth could receive higher education for free, or nearly so. That's all but vanished. In 1968, California residents paid a $300 yearly fee To attend Berkeley, that's the equivalent of about $2,000 now. Now tuition at Berkeley is $15,000. Total yearly student costs reaching about $40,000. Now this story that I'm bringing this to you from is 20 years old. Student debt, which has played a minor role in American life through the 1960s, increased during the Reagan administration, then shot up after the 2007-2009 Great Recession as states made huge cuts to funding for their college system. That brings us to today. Joe Biden. Joe Biden while positive or merely a Band-Aid on a crisis 50 years in the making. All the way back in 1822, founding father James Madison wrote to a friend that, and this is a quote from the president, "...the liberal appropriations made by the legislature of Kentucky for a general system of education cannot be too much applauded. Enlightened patriotism is now providing for the state a plan of education, embracing every class of citizens." Knowledge will forever govern ignorance, Madison said, and a people who mean to be their own governors must arm themselves with the power which knowledge gives. Freeman and Reagan and their compatriots agreed with Madison's perspective, but they wanted to prevent Americans from gaining this power. If we want to take another path, the U.S. will have to recover a vision of a well-educated populace, not as a terrible threat, but as a positive force that makes the nation better for everyone. And so should largely be paid for by all of us, not the government. I dug this out over the weekend and found this, and it is so close to what we're talking about today, to what this president is trying to do unilaterally, by the way. Oh, he got some of this, he got some of that. He got support, no doubt about it. But he can't get it through Congress. He can't get it through regular order, through the House, and then approved in the House and over to the Senate, especially before the midterms. There are a lot of Democrats out there, They understand this, and they don't like it either. Byron uh, Donald, he is um, an African-American member of the House of Representatives, and I'm saying that because the African-American community is adversely impacted by what's going on in D.C. What Joe Biden is actually doing or trying to do through his executive order, it is nothing but feeding the wealthy. And once again, looking down his nose at the African-American community. Byron Donald weighed in on what this Biden education student loan thing is all about.
2: Well, when you hand out freebies, it certainly doesn't hurt, does it, when it comes to voters? Congressman Byron Donald, Republican from the great state of Florida, joins me now. Good morning to you, uh,
8: Congressman. Is this vote buying? What's your thought? It absolutely is vote, uh, vote buying. I don't know what Corinne Jean Pierre is actually talking about. She's trying to cover for her boss. Look, the real <laughs> the reality is is that they are buying votes. That's exactly what this is. This is Tammany Hall stuff for the people who are political junkies, where you're giving somebody a dollar to go get out and vote for you. Their agenda has been a disaster. This is payback for their base. And the the thing about this is, you want to talk about what's not fair? Two thirds of the American people did not go to college. Almost 80 percent of the American people either didn't go to college, have paid off their loans like me. I paid off my loans. So I just want to ask the press secretary, where is my money? Where is my check? This is not fair. You're paying off your base. You need to get them out to vote. This is ridiculous. It is wrong. It's illegal, by the way, because he doesn't have this authority.
2: Right. Very good. All right. Next topic for you, Congressman. Uh, Students above the age of 12 in D.C.'s public schools must be vaccinated in order to attend class. Mayor Bowser there says there will be no virtual learning. So that leaves unvaccinated students without any options. I mean, how is that not leaving kids behind?
8: It absolutely is going to leave kids behind. Listen, the vast majority of kids in D.C. public schools are black kids. So you have their parents who have decided not to vaccinate them for obvious reasons, because we all now know that you can actually have the vaccine, but you're still going to get COVID-19 and you can still transmit COVID-19. I mean, just ask the president of the United States and actually go ask the first lady, Jill Biden, because they've gotten it, even though they're like quadruple boosted and have gotten both shots or whatever the heck the new cocktail is right now especially in light of what the CDC has now come out and said a week ago about how they've gotten stuff wrong for Muriel Bowser to do this is unconscionable she is going to leave black students behind because she's more concerned with political dogma than actually looking at the facts and actually looking at the science it is insane i feel terrible for the parents in dc but this is why kids need to have choices in education instead of being trapped in just public schools where you have this ridiculous dogma that sits on top of them
2: very good. Last one for you, Congresswoman and closer to your home. The governor of California, Gavin Newsom, is donating $100,000 to Democrat Charlie Chris, who is looking, as we know, to unseat Ron DeSantis as Florida's governor. Listen to this. I'll get your comments. Because I like Charlie Chris and I, I, I don't like bullies.
4: You want to ask what my why is in life? I don't like bullies. I don't like people that demean people. I don't like people that talk down to people. And I hope others of you send money
2: to send a message that uh, if that's the future of the damn Republican Party, this country's in real trouble. Give me a break. Congressman, do you think Gavin Newsom could have any influence in this
8: race? No. Actually, the only influence that Gavin Newsom is going to have is more Republicans in California leaving his state and coming to the great state of Florida. Listen, Gavin Newsom is terrible at his job. He doesn't know what he's doing. That's number one. But if you want to talk about a bully, talk about somebody who kept shutting down businesses because he didn't actually know what the science was. He was following the politics and he got it wrong. Talk about somebody who continues to leave.
2: Well, when you hand out freebies, it certainly doesn't hurt, uh, hurt, does it, when it comes to voters? Congressman Byron Donalds, Republican from the great state of Florida, joins me now. Good morning to you, uh, Congressman.
1: We just heard from Byron Donalds, and he's making this, this issue, he's making it very clear for people that represent the majority of Americans. It's just not right, it's not fair, and as Byron Donald says, it's illegal. No president has the authority to do it. On Friday, we played you that soundbite where Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, a year ago, made it very clear. She said, no president of the United States has the right to cancel student debt. Constitutionally, a president can You know, put it off for a while, delay it for a while. But only Congress can cancel student debt. So here's a question for you. Biden knows that. Why is he pushing it? Why is Biden pushing so hard to get this? Not just political, not just lifestyle, but always relevant.
0: Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network.
7: Welcome to Burger King. Can I take your order, please?
0: I'm here for the most wanted.
7: Sorry, sir. Can you repeat that? The gang known
0: as the Western Whopper.
7: Ah, you mean our new Texas barbecue beef bacon and sweet Carolina Whoppers, right? Yes,
0: I need them now.
7: Try the new
0: Texas barbecue beef bacon or our tasty honey mustard sauce on our sweet Carolina Whoppers. Hey, Burger King. Have it your way.
6: How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? People are still dying in car accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt, which is stupid because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think Road Safety, a message from the Government of South Australia.
7: sure we got microphone
1: problems i'm i'm so sorry when this stuff happens um it, it's so upsetting and you know we're like pretty much you and everything you do you want everything to be the best that you can possibly make it and when things don't go right you just shake your head and say why oh why listen i promise you this we're going to get this all straightened out and uh, tomorrow everything's going to be okay, we're going to have a smooth week, and everything's going to go our way. Are you in for that? (laughs) Well, as we get set for the midterms, we told you about those few tight, really tight races around the nation. But guess what? Democrats continue to have an edge down in Miami-Dade. This is interesting. This is a very heavily populated ethnic community, is Miami-Dade. They're leading Republicans by 146,975 voters. But Republicans actually have the edge in Miami-Dade among Hispanic voters. Specifically, a traditional targeted demographic of Democrats. Although Florida went to former President Trump in the 2020 presidential election, Miami-Dade went the other way, voting blue, in the last presidential election. Miami-Dade voters cast a little over 600,000 votes for then-candidate Biden, 532,000 for President Trump. However, Florida as a whole has experienced a big, big, major shift in the past couple of years. Democrats, for gosh, it seems like ever, held a voter advantage all across the Sunshine State. That is, until 2021. After nearly two years of lockdowns, mandates, restrictions across the country, Florida very quickly became America's liberty outpost as the DeSantis administration and the Republican legislature fought against government overreach, prioritized personal liberty over fear, and now registered Republican voters in Florida outnumber Democrats by almost a quarter of a million voters. Well, that's not the case in Miami-Dade, where registered Democrat voters outnumber Republicans by 146,000 overall. Democrat-Hispanic voters are registered more for Republicans. Data last updated August 1st shows a quarter of a million Hispanic voters in Miami-Dade registered Democrats, 323,000. Are registered Republicans that puts the Republicans up there uh, 70,738 for Republicans. Miami-Dade Hispanic voters are rejecting socialism, embracing freedom. That comes from the Florida Republican Party. Let's keep Florida free. That's interesting to me. And then in one other race, up in Ohio, at race for that open U.S. Senate seat, J.D. Vance, running against Tim Ryan, who is in Congress right now as a representative from the state of Ohio. J.D. Vance hadn't been in politics. Vance has a lead up there, but it is almost too close to call. But once again, Republicans in Ohio they're going up and up and up in registrations. And that's got a lot of people wondering what in the heck is going on up there. On Sunday, J.D. Vance ripped his opponent, Tim Ryan, for pretending that he's something that he's not. Now, according to Vance, who is um, he's a very well-spoken guy, according to him, Ryan's voting record and his public statements don't back up his claims in his television ads. I think we're in a really good spot here in Ohio, Vance said on Sunday. The problem that my Democrat opponent has in this is that he tries to be one thing on TV in his commercials, but his voting record and his public statements just don't back it up. That's called politics, don't you think? So on the one hand, he criticized mildly Joe Biden's debt forgiveness plan for college students. On the other hand, he voted for the exact same thing two years ago. And you can't just flip-flop on every position you've held over the last two years and expect people to take you seriously. So I think we're in a good spot against Tim Ryan. we got a lot of work to do, Vance said. And I think we have to make sure that Ohio voters actually get out there and vote. Because if they don't, we're going to put a guy who supported defund the police and supported these inflationary policies into the Senate from Ohio. We deserve to have a good senator in Ohio from Ohio, not a rubber stamp to Joe Biden. That's an interesting thought. I'm going to immediately, I want to segue from elections, the midterms coming up. We have so much time. People say, oh, it's only just a few days and we have an election. That may be true. But folks, between now and the first week in November, we are going to be inundated 24-7. I can't even imagine, I can't fathom how much money is going to be spent by the parties on both sides and also the people that are actually running for these offices on both sides between now. It's going to be 24-7, beat us up, beat us up, beat us up. So there's plenty of time left and we're watching everything for you. Just know this, every day when you come back here, we'll give you any really important updates about that. But here we are a year after our withdrawal from Afghanistan. And um, I think it's time for us to look at the reality there. Do you listen ever to the Sean Hannity Show? If you do, you know that coming out of the top of each of the hours, the three hours he's on there, He's got a, uh, a pretty much a vocal meter that talks about how many days it's been since there are a bunch of Americans and Afghans that cooperated with the U.S. government in the Afghan war that Joe Biden left in Afghanistan, left and gave them no hope to get out. It's been over a year. Now, what does this mean? It means there are a lot of people over there, a lot of people that we made promises to if they would work with us. A lot of these people were interpreters. I mean, we could, uh, very few of our people spoke the language, so we had to have somebody to work with them. Think about our military people there. Think about our uh, Department of uh, Justice, people that are over there, interacting with the Afghan government, have to have people to help. We promised these people if we ever pulled out, we wouldn't make sure they and their families came with them. And it just didn't happen. Over the weekend on NBC's nightly news, one Afghan man who NBC News Chief Washington Correspondent and Chief Foreign Affairs Correspondent Andrea Mitchell, she said this guy worked as a translator for the State Department and also for the U.S. military for 12 years, still has relatives in Afghanistan, said that if he knew he'd be putting his family at risk by working for the U.S., he wouldn't have worked for the United States to even begin with. Mitchell said the guy was left behind during the evacuation last year, but did reach the U.S. with some of his relatives last month and spent 10 months hiding from the Taliban, moving his family from house to house every three days, and was one of thousands, thousands, pleading for help that are in the same category as he. The man stated, one of the mistakes that I made was putting all my family at risk, so if I knew it, I wouldn't start. Mitchell then asked, you wouldn't have done this again? He said, if I anticipated that 12 years ago, I would never have started. The guy said that during the evacuation, when I got to the airport, I showed my passport, I showed my badge. They didn't accept it. They said no. And I was so close to burning the badge and just going to the Taliban and telling them that I was doing this and saying, if you want to kill me, kill me now. Do you know there are hundreds of people just like this man that are still Locked up in Afghanistan. Now, I'm going to blow your mind with this. We pulled out of Afghanistan. Wow, we're not going to be in there, our guys and women that are there. They're not going to be the subject of pressure and the possible death from uh, all of these crazy extremist Muslims that hate us. It doesn't seem like a question of if now, but when we redeploy our troops to Afghanistan again, and why would that be? Terrorism in Afghanistan is going crazy. Guess who's back? Al-Qaeda is back in Afghanistan. What's the big deal about that, folks? That's why we win in the first place. We went over there after the Iraq War to make sure that Al-Qaeda and ISIS would never be able to retool, and they were doing that from the very beginning, hiding in these mountains and hills in Afghanistan. We went over there to make sure they would never attack us on American soil ever again. it's a good shot we're going to redeploy troops to Afghanistan. This security situation wasn't an item that caught us off guard either. It didn't sneak up on us. It's just another consequence of Joe Biden's destructive policies. For all his time in D.C., it's still amazing that he remains one of the worst foreign policy minds in American politics. Bill uh, Gates, not Bill Gates, Who was the former director of the FBI? He's president of Texas A&M University now. Bob Gates, former CIA director, former Secretary of Defense. He said this about Joe Biden. Every foreign policy Joe Biden has made in every decision regarding foreign, foreign policy in the last 40 years, he's been wrong every time. Wrong every time. On Fox News Sunday, retired General Kenneth McKenzie admitted that going back to Afghanistan, the graveyard of empires, was only a matter of time for us given the increased activities of radical Islamic terrorists. McKenzie was the last commander of U.S. NATO forces in Afghanistan before our, our, our horrible withdrawal. The Council of Foreign Relations had a detailed memo about the rising terror threat and how, unsurprisingly, the Taliban, being allies of groups like al-Qaeda, have given their terror pals a lifeline to conduct their global campaign of jihad. The nation's third-world dynamics and failing state status also serve as a magnet for terror groups. In other words, if you go there, nobody will hold you accountable for anything. Just do what you want to do. And it's not like this is groundbreaking news. I think anybody with half a brain knew that the Taliban taking over would be a setback for our global anti-terror operations. Also, did anybody think they would respect women's rights once they took over? If you did, you were nuts. Be prepared for a heavily factionalized debate on this as there are no unified sides over here. The Republican Party, war-weary like the rest of us, is trying to stomp out the remaining neoconservative contingents that want endless war there. The Democrat Party is not so hot on returning and looking no better than the previous administrations dealing with this war. No side wants to be pegged to the images of desperate Afghans clinging to airplanes, as we saw in August last year. What's ironic is that Joe Biden leaving Afghanistan would have garnered bipartisan support. The Trump wing of the GOP is done with the nation-building ventures set forth by the Bush years. Leaving everything within a time frame of only a few weeks was not responsible either. It's a punch to the gut that we were in Afghanistan for 20 years, and we have nothing to show for it. Once again, it exposes the limits of American power. But a 20-year war may require years to complete a responsible drawdown to ensure things like billions in American military equipment that Joe left there don't fall into enemy hands, which it all did. They used some of the explosive materials that was left at Bagram Air Base in that suicide bomb that killed 13 Americans in Kabul. This strategy is the anti-terror alternative Biden pushed in 2009 when Obama was considering a troop surge. Obama opted to deploy another 30,000 troops instead. I just can't imagine the possibility of us going back to Afghanistan. I hate war. I hate it. I can't stand it. I don't think it does any good for anybody, especially those that are involved in it. And it does very little but tear the nation apart and makes it worse and worse and harder to come back. Harder to come back and find any kind of unity. So forget about it. Joe Biden's speech in his inauguration where he wanted to be the uniter-in-chief. He's still trying. He's trying. Uh, He thinks we don't don't pick up on all this stuff that he says. He plans he's going to host a unity summit now at the White House after telling Democrat donors last week that Republicans who supported Trump were guilty of semi-fascism. And those comments came after New York Governor Kathy Hochul told Republicans who don't like the job Democrats are doing in her state to just jump on a bus and head down to Florida where you belong, okay? She later claimed, after she was blasted for that, she was just talking about Republican candidates, not ordinary voters. (laughs) This is crazy. And if Democrats had their way, Republicans wouldn't be welcome in Florida either. Charlie Crist is the Democrat Party's nominee to challenge Governor Ron DeSantis. And Chris said last week, and I'm quoting him, those who support the governor should stay with him and vote for him. And I don't want your vote. If you have that hate in your heart, keep it there. Those who aren't haters, you're going to go off in your own world. The unified message from Democrats is that Republicans, not just politicians, are not wanted anywhere, anywhere in society. You're not worthy to breathe. Where's that uniter-in-chief on all of this? And Democrats' rhetoric, it's not new. Hillary Clinton, when she was a candidate, drew criticism in 2016 for telling donors that Trump voters were deplorables but now the hatred is out in the open and it's being repeated by candidates up and down the ticket, Democrat pundit Juan Williams. I got to be honest with you. He may, he may be a likable guy, but I just can't stand. He is the designated hardcore African American, American spokesman for Fox news. And that means every time he opens his mouth, he's got to attack whoever is in the White House, or whoever's in Congress that doesn't have a D behind their name. He tried to justify Biden's rhetoric Sunday on Fox News Sunday by citing the Capitol riot, but Karl Rove noted that Biden's inaugural address promising unity was delivered after the January 6th insurrection. The political danger of the Democrats' hateful rhetoric ought not be underestimated. Republican voters are already feeling threatened by cancel culture in the workplace, for example, and by the sense that there's a double standard of justice allowing left-wing activists to riot while imprisoning ardent Trump supporters for trespassing at the Capitol. Burn down Minneapolis. Don't go to jail. Don't get in trouble at all. But all of those peaceful people, January 6th, that were there, 90-plus percent of them, they were there simply exercising their constitutional rights. All this backlash could show up at the ballot box in November. It will, I'm certain. But regardless of the election result, the wounds are going to take a long time to heal. There's no doubt about it. We still have... Some more Mar a Lago stuff that we need to get into. Every day it seems like there's a new twist on it. But the CDC, folks, CDC is, I got to be honest with you. I don't think it's a medical division of the federal government. I think it's a political slash medical division of the United States government. Because if they were really a medical entity of experts, They wouldn't be having to change their narrative for COVID like we saw happen every week, sometimes every few days. August 11th of this year, the CDC reversed its COVID-19 guidelines. And when they did that, nobody said anything or acknowledged this, but it vindicated every misinformation spreader out there, including me. I knew... And we, from the very beginning, we had Dr. Judy Mikovits on this show two years ago. She was Dr. Fauci's sidekick back in the 90s when they were working on HIV AIDS. She got crossways with him. He threw her in jail, had her thrown into jail, literally. And she had to cut a deal and sign a gag order for a judge for them to let her out. She was never charged for doing anything wrong but what she did was she crossed the little guy he just he's just not a nice guy anthony fauci is the epitome to me of a fascist well now what's the cdc up to they're advocating for taking Personal responsibility and for everyone to decide for themselves which prevention behaviors to use and when, at all times or at specific times, based on their own risk for severe illness and that of members of their household, their risk tolerance and setting specific factors for themselves and their family members. Kind of like what we did before uh, Anthony Fauci came along. That's what we did. Anything that comes at us. We do what's best for us and our families. And the CDC tried, and pretty much successfully, to take all of those decisions on the medical stuff for you and your family, take them and put them in the hands of uh, Joe Biden. The CDC is also giving up on discrimination based on COVID jab status, stating its COVID-19 prevention recommendations no longer differentiate Based on a person's vaccination status, because breakthrough infections, they do occur. And they told us for months, they didn't. Or if they did, they didn't fight COVID-19. By the way, they also now admit that natural immunity exists, and it works. Testing is now reserved for those who are symptomatic, or have a known or suspected exposure to somebody with COVID-19. Isolation, it's only for all those people who are symptomatic and have tested positive, and contact tracing is now restricted to healthcare settings and select high-risk congregate settings. The CDC about-face appears to be politically motivated. That just blew me away. They, they said that. I never thought they were politically motivated. It tears my guts out that I found out that they are. From the very beginning of this thing, you can go back and look at shows. I pegged Anthony Fauci as a fraud from the very beginning. When he began to tell us one thing one day, he reversed it two days later. He came back to it three days after that, and then he threw it all out and gave us another thing. When somebody tells you a lie, here's a question for you to answer. How much of what that person says going forward are you going to believe? My dad taught me. It's one of the greatest lessons he taught me. didn't teach me many, but one of them that he taught me was when somebody lies to you, you mark them. Never believe them again because you never know What they say, whatever comes out of their mouth, might be a lie, what might be true. So therefore, just don't take anything they tell you under consideration and you mark them. Don't believe them ever again. The CDC on August 11th, two weeks ago, they reversed all their COVID-19 guidelines In fact, many have noted it seems the CDC wanted to bring as little attention to it as possible, not like they did everything else during the pandemic. It was like, drum roll, trumpet sound, here's Dr. Anthony Fauci with the COVID-19 lie of the day. This is understandable, considering that these new guidelines more or less admit the original rules were wrong without stating so you know you want to let it just slide through without drawing attention to it that uh uh-oh we screwed up and our decisions that were adopted by tens of millions of Americans many of them got COVID-19 and died because they listened to us the new guidance is listed on the CDC's Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report under the title, Summary of Guidance for Minimizing the Impact of COVID on Individual Persons, Communities, and Healthcare Systems, United States, August 2022. Jeffrey Tucker, founder and president of the Brownstone Institute, said this, it would have been fascinating to be a fly on the wall in the brainstorming sessions that led to this little treatise. The wording was chosen very carefully, not to say anything false outright, much less to admit any errors of the past, but to imply that it was only possible to say these things. Now, they couldn't tell us the truth two years ago because we would turn to somebody else. We, would, they, we wouldn't respect them anymore, the CDC. We wouldn't look at them as the guiding light for health care in America anymore. So they had to kind of just slip in there very quietly. Uh-oh, we screwed up without saying that, you know. The CDC today insisted while COVID-19 infection continues to be a reality all around the world, high levels of vaccine and infection-induced immunity and the availability of effective treatments and prevention tools has substantially reduced the risk for medically significant COVID-19 illness and associated hospitalizations and death. You got what they said? The risk for medically significant COVID-19 illness and associated hospitalization and death. Consequently, COVID countermeasures that create barriers to social, educational, and economic activity can be ditched and everything can go back to normal. What is normal? Normal is life in my world without Dr. Fauci looking in and dictating to me everything that I should or shouldn't do about my personal health care. Give me advice, doctor, but you don't have any authority, no constitutional authority, none none to tell me what i must do you don't give me advice that's what the cdc was supposed to be out about anyway
3: it's time for a new year a new you and a new
5: volkswagen stop by d patrick today and check out our entire lineup like the spacious atlas with room for everyone or the not so compact compact suv the tiguan and the always popular jetta and Passat. at d Patrick. We have a Volkswagen for every budget and every lifestyle. Check out all the Volkswagen models available at dpat.com. Make this year the best year in a new Volkswagen from D. Patrick on Green River Road.
6: Meet Phil Sklar, co-founder of the National Bubblehead Hall of Fame and Museum.
5: Our dream is to make Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the bobblehead capital of the world.
6: At American Family Insurance, we believe your dreams are the most valuable things you will ever own. So today, we're supporting Phil's dream.
5: If people would like to be a part of the bobblehead dream, we take donations in money or bobbleheads.
6: Every dream deserves a champion. Find yours at
5: amfam.com.
4: American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company and its affiliates. 6,000 American Parkway,
2: Madison, Wisconsin, 53. <laughs>
5: I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural, juicy, grass-fed beef
6: introducing the all-natural burger the first ever in fast food with no antibiotics no added hormones and no steroids only at carl's jr taking the
0: time to speak the truth no matter the cost dan newman tnn
1: the truth news network and so in this laugh last 35 minutes or so of the show, we've got several other big things we need to get to. The latest on what's going on down in Mar-a-Lago. A federal judge came out, I think she just did it, she inserted herself in this, I don't believe anything was happening in her particular court, but she says she is inclined to grant former President Trump's request to appoint a neutral third party to review documents and other materials seized by the FBI early this month in a raid on Trump's Florida home, citing exceptional circumstances. Her name is Eileen Cannon, U.S. District Judge for the Southern District of Florida. She said in a filing that she decided to give Trump a chance to make his case after reviewing Trump's submissions and the exceptional circumstances presented. So what this would be, they would, she would, or whoever would appoint a so-called special master, who is usually a retired lawyer or judge, independently, to examine the records and filters out privileged information before the government can review them. Now, in retrospect, they've already done all that. They've got the documents. They've had them for two weeks now. They've examined them all. Pursuant to Rule 53B of the Federal Rolls of Civil Procedure and the Court's inherent authority and without prejudice to the party's objections, the Court hereby provides notice of its preliminary intent to appoint a special master in this case. The FBI agents during the raid, they took more than two dozen boxes, 11 sets of documents, that were marked with various levels of classified markings according to a property receipt that was unsealed on the 12th of this month. Most of those items have generic descriptions such as box-labeled A1 and miscellaneous secret document. The judge's two-page order came a day after Trump's lawyers filed another motion renewing their plea for outside supervision of the Mar-a-Lago Trove after an affidavit justifying the FBI raid was made public in a very heavily redacted form. The redacted affidavit underscores why this motion should be granted, and this is from the Trump legal team filing, as it provides almost no information that would allow Movant to understand why the raid took place or what was taken from his home, Trump's lawyer said in that filing. The few lines that are unredacted raise more questions than give answers. Trump noted the judge's move in a post on his social media platform, True Social, saying that the FBI raid was politically motivated. And I think every American believes that. Federal judge in Florida just took over the Presidential Records Act case including the unprecedented, unnecessary, and unannounced FBI-DOJ raid of my home, mar lago Trump wrote this. This assault was done for political purposes just prior to the midterms. And 2024, of course. It's a disgrace to our now third world country. Now, the DOJ, here's the timing. They have until tomorrow to file a response to Trump's request at a head of a hearing set for September 1 at 1 p.m. at West Palm Beach, Cannon also directed, Cannon's a judge, directed the DOJ to provide a more detailed list of properties that were confiscated from Orillago and uh, the status of the government's review of the items. That includes the use of a filter team to separate privileged materials and any dissemination of materials beyond the Privilege Review Team. And that means leaking to the New York Times and the Washington Post. All of the news, quote-unquote news, I'm putting that in parentheses, excuse me, in quotation marks, news. In this case, none of it's news. It's political thuggery that is put together and mainstream leftist in the Democrat Party and the media. They've all agreed we're going to get in lockstep and we're going to attack everything to do with this every day as long as it takes to keep Trump from winning the nomination from the Republican Party to run for president. This, folks, is going to be in your grill. It's going to be in your grill forever. Well, at least until 2024 when the election comes up. Or if it is Trump who gets the nomination. Or, just to be honest with you, if it would go to the Republican convention to determine who is going to represent the party on the presidential ticket, they'd probably slack off a little bit there if Trump doesn't win that nomination. But I'm going to tell you, folks, they are... Honing in on this thing, the Democrats, and this is the hill on which they will die. And you know what? Republicans, conservatives, American people that don't keep up with it, they don't understand that. The Democrats are willing to die on this hill because it's the only way they can protect everything that they're doing. The continued illegal reaching into Americans' pockets, spending money that we don't have— arbitrarily not even using the U.S. Congress for legislation to be passed so Joe Biden could sign into law to do it the constitutional way. They have gone so far to the left. And by the way, so far down the fascist road with Joe Biden at the top, ignoring the rule of law, ignoring their commitments to support the rule of law and the United States Congress, and just doing anything and everything that they want to do, not asking, not even taking polls, not getting input from anybody outside their camp. If they want to do it, if the centrist in the Democrat Party, the ones that are running the party, and it's probably not the people you have the names for. It's probably the ones behind the doors. People like Susan Rice, Eric Holder, Barack and Michelle Obama, all included in that. And I'm going to lob this one out for you. Let me tell you what I think it was all about, mar lago There are documents in existence. This has been revealed by multiple sources that implicate with evidence collusion during the Russia investigation of Donald Trump and the guilty parties this implicates in this documentation are Bill and Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Susan Rice, Eric Holder, specifically those people implicated and we've been told credibly, not factually, don't know it yet, haven't been able to confirm it with evidence, but that was the sole purpose for this raid on Mar-a-Lago. Going to seize all the documents at Mar-a-Lago. All of them. You got that? Every one of them. They didn't, they didn't go through. This is, let me tell you what normal FBI procedure is in this case. They would come in, they would make an appointment or tell whoever they're coming to, we're we're, going to be there at this time. And we are demanding by, we had a search warrant, we are demanding that we are going to go in and examine documents and see what's really there. And so... We want you to bring somebody along to observe and make sure that what we say and put on our uh, our document that shows what we seized, that that's exactly what was seized. They didn't do that. And they grabbed all this stuff and took off with it. They've had it for two weeks. Now, don't think it's happened happenstance that Donald Trump mentioned at the very beginning. They could, after they took all this stuff, They could add stuff, they could put stuff in it, duplicate documents, create false documents to somehow produce a narrative that proved that Donald Trump had done something criminal. Now let me ask you this, do you believe that the Department of Justice would do that? That this Department of Justice would do that? 10, 15, 20 years ago, if somebody told me that, I would have laughed in their faces. This FBI is corrupt. This Department of Justice is corrupt. The secretary of the Department of Justice, Merrick Garland, he's corrupt. And they're all cowing to the fascist narrative of the Democrat Party that we were told Joe Biden was a centrist, a moderate. He was in the middle of the Democrat Party. He's always been in the middle of the Democrat Party while he was in the U.S. Senate. He's going to bring the same thing to the White House. There are millions of Democrats that voted for him that thought that was going to be true. And he's anything but that. But that. He's Mussolini of U.S. history. Mussolini was the fascist in Italy during World War II. Worked with, directly with Adolf Hitler. Senator Lindsey Graham. He's pretty concerned about this mar lago thing. Graham criticized what he viewed as a two-tiered legal system in favor of President Biden and against Donald Trump. Last night, on Sunday night in America on Fox News. Trey Gowdy hosts that show. He started the segment with a viral clip of Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg revealing on Joe Rogan's podcast that the FBI actually warned Facebook about Russian propaganda before the 2020 election leading the tech giant to suppress stories about Hunter's laptop. If that doesn't bother you, you need to check who you are and where you live, and what nation you're a citizen of. This news, coupled with reports on the FBI raid, led Graham to suggest there's a double standard in federal enforcement that could inspire violence in response. Graham said most Republicans, including me, believes when it comes to Trump, there's no law. It's all about getting him. There's a double standard when it comes to Trump. What happened with the Hunter Biden thing is that the FBI weighed in to make sure the story didn't break before the 2020 election. And we now have whistleblowers at the FBI telling Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa that they were told to slow down and back off of Hunter Biden. And I'll say this, Graham said, if there is a prosecution of Donald Trump from his handling classified information After the Clinton debacle, there will be riots in the streets. It's interesting, this morning, a lot of Senator Graham's counterparts are looking at what he's saying and what I just quoted that he said. If there is a prosecution of Donald Trump for mishandling classified information after the Clinton debacle, there will be riots in the street. They're saying... That's a Democrat, excuse me, a Republican dog whistle calling for violence in the streets. Graham said, you love the law. I love the law. He's talking to Gowdy, Trey Gowdy, former federal prosecutor. Graham said, I've never been more worried about the law and politics as I am right now. How can you tell a conservative Republican that the system works when it comes to President Trump? What happened in Crossfire Hurricane? It was a joke. That's the Russia collusion investigation. It was a joke of an investigation. People lied in the FBI and manipulated the evidence in the FBI. Look at what happened to Hunter Biden. They gave him a free pass, 100% free pass. When evidence on his laptop shows at best He was distributing and using drugs himself, illegal drugs. Social media outlets suppressed information that could have mattered in the election. Why? Because much of the information points a finger of collusion at then-private citizen Joe Biden. Graham continued talking about the Afghanistan pullout. We're more exposed to another attack than we've ever been. The Taliban are back in charge of Afghanistan. Al-Qaeda and ISIS are thriving and are all over Afghanistan. They desire to hit our homeland. Joe Biden canceled the residual force insurance policy to make sure they couldn't gather up over there to hit us over here. And he added, President Biden says he has no regrets about what he did in Afghanistan. He's a fool if he really believes that. I have a lot of regrets about what he did. I regret the fact that we left thousands of our allies behind who bravely fought along our side. I regret the fact that all of the women that kind of believed in us have been turned back over to the Taliban. I regret the fact that Afghanistan will become another breeding ground for terrorism and most likely another 9-11 will emanate there going through a broken southern border if Joe Biden doesn't regret what he did in Afghanistan he is deaf dumb and blind you know I don't, I don't care what your opinion of Lindsey Graham is I mine is kind of uh, it, it, it's it's speckled sometimes I like the positions he takes but he's kind of like a chameleon It just depends on what the issue of the day is and who he's with, which way he's going to pontificate. But in this one, folks, he's military. He knows that from the inside out. I believe the senator from South Carolina knows what he's talking about. And I wholeheartedly agree. The new Amazon Echo has
6: everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing?
1: Amanda! <laughs>
6: but the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids done bought me a
1: busted
0: machine again. this!
6: That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver. The only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa. So they can find out the weather.
0: Allegra, what is the weather outside?
2: It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it?
0: The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know
6: about that. The latest in sports.
0: Clarissa, how many did old satchel strike out last night? Satchel Page died in 1982. Yeah. How many he
2: get? Satchel Page is dead. In what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Page.
6: Ah. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Manita. What them boys up to across the street?
2: They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes,
0: they are just playing. I
6: don't know about that. Pair <laughs> it to smart devices like your thermostat.
0: Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alessandra?
6: The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young.
0: Angela, play black jazz playing uh jazz
6: <laughs> It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things.
0: Emilia, where did I put the phone? <sighs> The phone is in your right hand.
6: And it has an uh-huh feature for long, rambling stories. So then I gave him $5, and he said I only gave him $1. Uh-huh.
0: I said, I know I
6: gave you a $5. uh huh
0: Because
6: I only had a 5 and a $1 only.
0: Uh-huh. And this is the $1 right here. Uh-huh.
6: So, I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now.
1: For a second about the president's right to declassify documents. That is, that is what the central tone, at least the things that we're hearing coming out of uh, Mar-a-Lago raid, that's what it's talking about. Um, first of all, let's make it clear. Executive order number 13526. Trump has the legal power to declassify information. He also has the authority to share information with anybody who wants to, including foreign adversaries. Now, wait a minute. This is uh, this is getting a little bit out of hand. We can't go down that road, Dan. Well, I mean, what we're talking about all has historical precedence. Trump's national security advisor, when he was still in office, H.R. McMaster, defended Trump's disclosure, and said it is wholly appropriate for the president to share what information he thinks is necessary to advance the security of the American people. Trump is protected. Now listen to this. This is going to weigh in legally. There is an executive order that was signed by Barack Obama in 2009, establishing a uniform system for classifying, safeguarding, and declassifying national security information. Now, that order allows the president to determine the system of designating classified information and that he is the ultimate authority over U.S. intelligence agencies which gather and classify the information. The Supreme Court confirmed as much in its 1988 ruling in the Department of Navy v. Egan. The Supreme Court has already weighed in saying that a president has unilateral authority because he is the highest legal authority in the nation, can arbitrarily declassify anything that he wants to declassify. So listen to this. Let me, let me just cut to the chase, folks. This problem isn't a legal problem. It's a political problem. It's a matter of policy and prudence. Careless disclosure can dry up sources, whether it be the identities and lives of those out in the field, the cooperation we get from liaison with other services who have to protect their sources and methods. While experts say that presidents can disclose classified information, it's rare for them to do it. But we're talking about two issues. One is releasing information from classified documents. And the other is having them in he or her's presence. There's a big difference there. There are multiple cases, multiple cases, the U.S. Supreme Court has weighed in on. And in those cases, every single time, when it's a question of the declassification of anything by the president at that time, the Supreme Court has always weighed in on the side of that president. There is so much outrage over everything to do with Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, James Biden, all of the Biden folks, the Biden family syndicate, I call it. It seems like every couple of days more information comes out that points to Joe Biden as being literally at the top of this. And I'm talking about the fascist in chief now. I'm talking about Joe Biden. And I'm talking about what didn't happen when all of this stuff about Hunter Biden has come out.
7: It is fascinating to watch this happen, Um, but it's really frightening because, well, this is not how we should operate in the United States of America. This does look like third world stuff. This, along with the Mar-a-Lago raid, people feel really uncomfortable as to where we are in America right now. And man, do we need to get the reins back and give people a lot of confidence because this is the greatest country in the world and you can't operate like this. That was Lara Trump there, weighing in on where the United States is at now, following new information relating to the suppression of Hunter Biden's scandals. It has long been maintained from Republicans and critics of Joe Biden that the mainstream media, social media and even now the FBI sought to sweep any derogatory information about the President's son under the rug. However, last week, Mark Zuckerberg revealed something quite interesting. The Facebook founder and now Meta CEO joined Joe Rogan on his podcast, where he said the FBI approached the company, warning of potential Russian propaganda about to be dumped right before the 2020 election.
5: We took a different path than Twitter. Um, I mean, basically, the background here is the FBI, I think, basically came to us, uh, some some folks on our team, It was like, hey... Um, just so you know like you should be on high alert there was the we we thought that there was a lot of russian propaganda in the 2016 election we have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of of um uh that's similar to that so just be vigilant a lot of people were still able to share it we got a lot of complaints that that was the case um you know obviously this is a hyper political issues, so depending on what side of the political spectrum, you either think we didn't censor it enough or censored it way too much. But right. but we weren't sort of as black and white about it as, as Twitter. Did they specifically say you need to be on guard about that story? I, I no. I, I don't remember if it was that specifically, but it was it basically fit the pattern.
7: Now Zuckerberg doesn't specifically say the Bureau warned of anything Hunter Biden related. However, the President's son's laptop scandal came to light in October 2020, just three weeks before the election. Joe Rogan did, however, ask whether the FBI specifically warned about stories relating to Hunter, to which Zuckerberg said not specifically, but that it fits the pattern. In a statement on Friday night, the FBI claimed the Bureau provides companies with foreign threat indicators to help better protect the platforms, but can't ask or direct companies to take action on information received. Meta then later released a statement following Mark Zuckerberg's comments, writing... The FBI shared general warnings about foreign interference, nothing specific about Hunter Biden. However, the New York Post damning report published three weeks before the election was a serious inflection point in the lead-up to the Biden-Trump showdown. It came to light when Hunter Biden left his computer at a repair shop in Wilmington, Delaware in 2019. On the hard drive was potentially incriminating emails about payments and gifts given to Hunter by foreign interests. Despite the tangled web of overseas business deals and personally incriminating photos and videos of the president's son, the story was wildly buried by mainstream media and heavily censored on social media. Twitter locked users' accounts if they tried to privately share the story, and the New York Post had their account suspended. Republican Senator Ron Johnson wrote a letter to Inspector General Michael Horowitz last week where he claimed whistleblowers have come forward alleging FBI officials intentionally undermined efforts to investigate Hunter Biden, which is similar allegations that were given to Senator Chuck Grassley last month by whistleblowers. Ron Johnson joined Fox News where he weighed in on the FBI's handling of the Hunter Biden laptop scandal. Let's point out that at that time, President
5: Trump was being impeached for a phone call that he had with the head of Ukraine. And here we have all of that information on the laptop that the FBI has about the million dollars that Hunter Biden was collecting from Ukraine and Burisma for being on their board.
4: You know, Maria, after Senator Grass and I issued our report the next day, uh, Mr. McIsaac, uh, the computer repair shop owner offered us that laptop. Now we'd already been falsely accused of soliciting 70 Russian disinformation. So we did our due diligence. We contacted the FBI. They didn't tell us anything. We repeatedly talked to them. What do you know about this? They would never admit that they had it. Now we know they had December 2019. Sat on it. Mr. McIsaac got impatient, Turned that over to uh, the New York Post. The rest is history. But then the New York Post story was also suppressed.
1: You know, the, the irony of what you just heard, all of that is just a repeat kind of uh, high, highlights of all of the Hunter Biden, Joe Biden, uh, Burisma Holdings, China, the rehashing of all of that. Have you noticed anytime and every time there's a story that comes up or a question comes up in public and somebody is asked about it, they never answer. They just kind of try to push forward and move on to something else because there's no substance, there is no possible, even probable situation in which Hunter Biden could ever get a job on the board of a big corporation, especially an oil and gas big company, trading company in Europe of all places, a million-dollar a year seat on that board unless he happened to be the son of the then vice president and now the president of the United States. There's just one case after another, one example after another in which it's exposed. This really is folks, a family syndicate. They're in it up to their years. They are. And there's no explanation for it other than they're corrupt. Speaking of corrupt, I'm going to bring you down to my state for just a few moments. You never hear about the New Orleans mayor, Latoya Cantrell, unless, of course, you live in Louisiana. New Orleans is the flagship city of the state, it has so much history. I love New Orleans. I'm from South Louisiana. I've spent a lot of time in New Orleans. Uh, I know the good, the bad, most of it anyway, on a personal level. But this mayor has done everything she can to rip the Crescent City apart. There's a recall petition for her. They're trying to get her removed from office. The petition was filed by Eileen Carter and Belden Baptiste, on Friday in Baton Rouge and was confirmed by the Louisiana Secretary of State. Batiste is a local New Orleans activist who also ran against Kentrell in 2021, while Carter used to work as a social media manager for the city of New Orleans. Batiste and Carter's official reasoning for filing the petition, as written in the reasons for recall space, was Cantrell's failure to put New Orleans first and execute the responsibility of the position. Within six months of filing that petition, the organizers got to collect signatures from 20% of eligible voters. That's according to the Secretary of the State. As the Orleans Parish has approximately 266,000 registered voters, the organizers will have to present approximately 53,000 signatures for a recall election to be triggered. So in response to the petition, a spokesman for the mayor's office stated, the mayor is working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to solve the problems of the city, whether it is public safety, sanitation, development. This mayor cares about every person in the city and lifting the city. This is a world-class city, and we are going to keep on striving to make it the best possible. That's what she's going to do, and will continue to do it. Cantrell can appeal the petition if the signatures are successfully collected. So, the Democrat mayor is currently under scrutiny for a bunch of scandals and blunders. City's crime rate soars. Among those blunders, on August 18th, she showed up unannounced to the sentencing of a juvenile convicted of armed robbery to show support for the offender's family. The mother of the victim was offended by the mayor, seemingly showing favoritism in the proceedings, and the mother said, the mayor and judge gave us and my daughter the proverbial slap in the face. She's also facing the mayor, a travel scandal for using taxpayer money to spend about 45 grand on a four-day trip to France. The mayor defended it, Cantrell, saying, I have a responsibility to grow our economy and our culture. A study released in July found that New Orleans' murder rate is among the worst of the nation's 50 largest cities, with 14.8 murders, poor 100,000 people. The methodology in the study used homicide data from the second quarter of 2022 and from over the past two years. I just wanted to give you that information and know that's happening. We hear very little, people outside the borders of Louisiana, very little about the political haranguing and problems within the state. But this has gotten out of hand, folks. And I'm going to tell you this New Orleans is struggling. And when you have the crime rate, when you have the crime rate that New Orleans has, you can't afford to have somebody that's not doing a good job as mayor. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for um, letting us mess up a little bit with the equipment issues. We worked on it all weekend. We will get it fixed for tomorrow. Have a great day till then. We'll see you at 9 a.m. Tomorrow morning at TNN Live.
4: A